Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. student has truly become the master as Pep Guardiola attempts to ape Mikel Arteta's football on his way to a Champions League final. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. Mikel Arteta has gone full vibes the last two games. It's been chaos. Goals conceded. Goals scored. Lots of crazy stuff happening, but, but it's been effective. And so... His mentor, or former mentor, I should say, now his student, goes full vibes against Real Madrid in an attempt to get to a Champions League final in what was, let's admit, a very, very wild uh, Champions League tie. The Liverpool one, not so much as Unai Emery's team, I believe, mustered one shot, two shots. <clears throat> but that's not, nothing to be too embarrassed about against that team. Now we get to do the fun thing that you get to do as a football fan, which is root for really esoteric outcomes of other games that don't involve you. So today we are rooting for West Ham United to uh, have a very, very trying fixture that leaves everything on the line in their second leg against Frankfurt and maybe a few pulled muscles just to be safe, you know, have some guys rest at the weekend. And we are rooting for Leicester to have an easy stroll through their tie. Just, you know, no problems, no issues whatsoever. 7-0, it's over, and they can concentrate on their fun, meaningless game against a meaningless team uh, that plays in a toilet bowl on Sunday. So that's what we're all rooting for. Let me tell you something exciting. This humble podcast, Paul, Tim, Clive, and myself, Scott, unfortunately, not available, but we... uh. We like to think of ourselves as the little engine that could, the little podcast that could. We know we're not big and mighty, but we have a big and mighty community of people that listen, and we love you, and thank you so much for that. Well, that community has brought us to the precipice of something special because we are going to join forces with the mighty Arsecast, that's right, James and Andrew, for a live event at Union Chapel in London, May the 21st, the day before the Everton game, to celebrate what will surely be nothing more than a coronation on the Sunday. That's right, a live event. There will be guests. There will be special guests. We cannot announce who they are. There will be libations, I have no doubt. And there will be much revelry. And as well as questions and giveaways and prizes. Um, now, we did a pre-sale yesterday. And it went a little better than I think we anticipated. And so there's not, not as many tickets available today as I might hope. So hopefully by the time you're listening to this, if you're interested in going, you can still snap up a remaining ticket to be with us at Union Chapel to celebrate a season on the brink of celebration, hopefully. Um, and also just a bunch of good people getting together. And a, a huge thanks to you uh, as listeners for doing this. And, and I will let you know, so many of you have sent me screenshots of the review, reviews you've posted about the podcast. You can email them to contact at arsenalvision.com or you can DM them on the Discord or however you want to send them. You go into the drawing to win a free year of Patreon. We'll announce that uh, in, a, in a week or so. Just submit a review. 
uh, to the podcast player of your choice, although Apple Podcasts and Spotify tend to be the two that that use this stuff the most, and we will draw a winner. Um, all you got to do is send me a screenshot. And the reason you got to send me a screenshot is, last time I tried to do this, I picked the reviews that were the winners, and then I realized I had no way to get in contact with those. So sending me the screenshot allows me to make it a lot easier to, to draw the winners for the free Patreon uh, year subscription. So that is that. Here with me now is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Are you, uh, you excited for the live event? Yeah, absolutely. Really, really looking forward to it. It's been a, it, it feels like a long time for some reason, despite the fact it's the only one we've done so far that we did the one in was it October or November? October, I think. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, for some reason. Yeah, it was, of course, because it was before the Palace game. That, that feels like a long time ago for some reason. But yeah, that that was great. And um, yeah, to, to add a few other guests to this one as well, I, I think will be will be really, really exciting. And I've, I've been to the venue at Union Chapel a few times on the doorstep of the Emirates as well. Um, plenty of good boozers around there as well. So, yeah, <laughs> lo- looking forward to that one. That almost certainly played a part in the decision. It's funny because I had not heard of that venue. And then um, when I mentioned to someone that that's where we're going to be, they said that's quite a special place. So now I'm, uh, I am certain that I will, will brick it. it. It will be like walking into the Bernabeu and uh, just have a complete mayor, a, a two out of ten. But hopefully you guys will carry me. Clive's on Twitter at ClivePFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Are you looking forward to that evening? You are, did you see the the poor? So if if you're just listening to this now and you haven't seen it, poorly drawn Arsenal, who is amazing, did a a logo for this kind of event, and we're all poorly drawn figures. And Clive is watching over all of us like the the Godfather. It's it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's a great picture. I've got that one screenshotted. That's for sure. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. I'm actually thinking about booking a hotel because I, I don't think I'm going to be in a good state to travel on public transport back to the north of London. So um, I may I may <laughs> be staying over and do the two days in one and just, just go, go for old it. school and crash with one of us, man. That's that's uh, how this goes. <laughs> uh, maybe not. Maybe maybe just get your <laughs> <laughs> room, let's be honest. It can only get so weird in one exactly. night, and it's undoubtedly going to get weird as it is. So, <clears throat> what a, what a what a fun couple of weeks for Arsenal, for this community raising a hundred thousand pounds for for the foundation, for this event being announced. I mean, just just wonderful times, and hopefully they continue, and I expect that they will, of course. But in order for them to continue, Clive, Mikel Arteta has to make some trickier decisions, and I, I think this game against West Ham is, you know, this is a classic a classic difficult selection situation, I think, because everyone will know, including the players going into that game, that that game is not the focus for West Ham. But it's a way, it's at a, a difficult ground to play at. We don't. We may not know the players so well who will be playing for West Ham on the day. It could be a heavy rotation for them as they have very little to play for domestically. And it may be tempting for Mikel to say, I don't want to know, I don't, I don't know if I want to fiddle with what's not broken with the team that just beat you know, Chelsea and United, granted there was there was one change, the holding going out and Cedric coming in, but I think he has players coming back and he has players available that may be more suited for this occasion. The two that come to mind for me are Lacazette and Tomiyasu, and I'm curious what he might do with those or any other possible changes. Yeah, I think uh, Tomiyasu should play. I don't even think that's even a debate. Uh, West Ham are, are quite... Well, when they've got their full strength team, they're quite physical, quite big, and we we need that guy. You know, as far as I'm concerned, if he can even walk in a straight line, he should play. Right, because he stabilizes us. So that's an easy one for me. I think um, what we learned last week, I think playing Smith Rowe in two games in like four to three days, I think is a struggle for him. So I I think Martelli, I, I would go with Martelli for this game just because a bit more of a 
a, a running game, a physical game away from home, bigger spaces potentially. I would go for him. But then again, it depends what West Ham you get. Are West Ham going to sit in and just try to hold on? Or are they going to try to play and, and hit the channels with their runners and then make the pitch big? And Martelli suits that, right? So that's what I would do. I'll keep the same centre mid. I'll keep the same centre backs. So I'll keep Nuno at left back, although that could cause some debate with the listener. Mm-hmm. I'll keep Nuno at left back because I think it works. I think it works even more with Tom Yasu. You know, you, you guys all know what that means, where we push on, etc., and get our guy into the fifth lane and make sure Saka's stretched out on the other side. He looks fit. And, um, and I would probably still stay with Eddie because I think he deserves it. I think he deserves to play... And that's how it should be. You do well, you stay in and you play. And that's what I would go with. And I think that's, to me, that feels obvious. Right? I don't know about you, what you guys think. Yeah, Tim, do you have a, th- a thought on that yourself? I mean, I let me rephrase. Please give me your thoughts on that yourself. <laughs> <laughs> exactly the same. Like Tommy Asu, surely him coming on last week. I know he only came on for stoppage time. It's a bit of a time-wasting sub. But him coming on surely means that with another week's training under his belt, he should be ready. Um, and, and I completely agree. I'd keep Tavares in. I think Tomiyasu and Tavares makes a lot more sense than Cedric and Tavares. Um, and then, I, again, I'm agreed on Martinelli. Um, I think, yeah, um, I, I just think it's, even withstanding like West Ham style, it's, it's just a good change to make. We've got two players who are slightly different, but I think quite equal in terms of what they bring to Arsenal. Um, and then uh, no doubt in my mind whatsoever that Eddie and Ketia should start. We, I don't think we really mentioned it on the post United pod, or at least um, I didn't because I wasn't on it. <laughs> but that I, makes I it thought, very difficult, no matter how loud you yell. Yeah. In, indeed, indeed, damn internet connection. I was supposed to be on that <laughs> podcast, but I know. Um, technology intervened. But I thought Ed, I thought Eddie was better against Manchester United than he was against Chelsea. Um, you know, and he played well against Chelsea. Obviously, he scored two goals, which is his main job. But I thought his all-round play against Man United was superb. Mm. I thought he he kept it really simple. I thought he came it like I think we've overly fetish fetishized this link-up play as if it's like really really difficult and like no one can really do it. Like he's he's done it fine. He's done it absolutely fine. I thought he did it really well against United, just popping into that space, holding the ball you know, um, knocking it back and, and then crucially not just standing there and asking to do that again, but going in behind. Like, he, he, you know, he hasn't looked like, you know, Ronaldo, as in the Brazilian Ronaldo, like reincarnated or anything, but he's ju- he's just done things pretty effectively and pretty well. And, and crucially, he's not refusing to do things that maybe aren't, part of his game you know he's like what, what do you is, mean Tim exactly <laughs> like I'm, I'm sure that like link up play isn't what he likes doing but he'll do it he'll do it he'll do it to a six or seven out of ten standard and that is fine for what we've got at the moment so and I think just the way he runs in behind and stretches defenses he just gives a, he's just giving us a lot more at the moment I think it would be absolutely diabolical um if Lacazette <laughs> came into the team for him on Sunday and I don't think he will yeah, and, and and I mean, yeah, Clive. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I don't, if, if you notice when he did roll off to receive it to feet, do you notice how the, he seemed to have a bit more space to receive it? And that's just yeah. down to speed. <laughs> he moved yeah, yeah. quickly to receive it, and yeah. because he sometimes he sets it, sometimes he rolls to the half turn, and sometimes he sets it and spins because he's got three options. Yeah. Suddenly, as a defender, you're thinking, mm, I'm not sure what he's going to do. So I tell you what, I'll do. I'll mark him, but I won't mark him as tight as I could do because I'm not quite sure. You know what I mean? It's, it's an upgrade on a lamppost is <laughs> what we're saying. 
And <laughs> the, the thing is, like in the last like five minutes of that United game, and I guess I'm saying this as a compliment, he was dead on his feet, which is good. I want I want my striker to be dead on his feet, but not after 55 minutes. After 85 minutes, I want that striker huffing and puffing dead on his feet because he's worked so hard. And Lacazette does huff and puff. And like to be fair, he does work hard. It's just that that happens quite a bit sooner. So, by the yeah. way, that's the that's the um, school I was in in uh, Hogwarts, Huff and Puff. So, um, <laughs> God, that's bad. Why did I do that? Okay. Anyway, um, so look, I I'm going to be the one who who has to ruin the pod here. I think Lacazette will start. I just have a feeling, you know, the manager really rates him. I I still think. There was an element of chaos to the to the Chelsea United games that made sense. There was a lot of space to play into, and Eddie did well. I just have this feeling that he'll want to see what Laka has to offer, maybe in light of the fact that he's got to make a bunch of big decisions coming up. And, you know, Lacazette didn't get dropped, really, did he? I mean, he was sick. I, you know, I just... I just have this weird feeling that he's going to want to see if he can insert Lacazette back in. And, and part of the reason for that may be that if he wants to bring Martinelli in, you know, I think Nketiah is a little bit less effective on the ball. Not that Lacazette had been very effective, let's be honest. And so Smith-Rowe, I think we see him as more of an interior, more of a linking player, even though I actually think he was kind of peripheral in these last few games. If he wants to bring Martinelli back in, who's more of a running behind kind of player, although I think fine with the ball at his feet, he says caveating every opinion. I don't know. I could see him wanting to bring in the Lacazette-Martinelli combination, but then if you're bringing in Tomiyasu and Lacazette and Martinelli, it's a lot of change from two wins. So, uh, Clive, do you want to refute that? Or do, do you, I mean, forgetting what you would do, do you think he may he may be looking to do that? Because I, he was very stalwart in his defense of and use of Lacazette when Lacazette was available. And big games where you have room to run in call for one thing, but this might call for another. Yeah, I... Okay, look, the biggest the biggest issue we have in this game for me is the one of complacency. That's what we have to we have to stop that. You know, I think all of us think we're gonna win this game because West Ham are gonna have their eyes turned anywhere else. And that's just not something that we can that we can stomach, right? So I think complacency is the one issue. I think I think it's a major with the balance the dog's not the complacent, circuit. I'll tell yeah, you that much. She is vigilant or she, <laughs> I apologize. Yeah, someone come to the door, apologies, right? So <laughs> I think the, the one issue we have is balance, right? And Martinelli tucked in slightly, hasn't really done it. And he, he tends to be really, really wide. And so for me, that could cause a problem with Nuno, but it's about instruction, isn't it? I think it's about instruction. I think we can all see that Smith Rowe does lag a little bit. He may start still, and Martelli off the bench. But I think the balance is the key thing. You know? And I think Eddie, don't underestimate, just because he, he's known as an energetic forward, he can hold up. He can do all the stuff that Lacazette does. I, I don't see it as an issue. I think he can combine with people. I just think it's about offering a different face, a fresh face, a quick face, an intense face. When you're playing a team that might be a little bit slow out of the blocks because they played today on a Thursday night, then get them fast, get them early, get it done. Be really quick, be really intense. And, and that's the way I would go. Your points around Lacazette, I do accept, I do take them. But... I also like what we've done recently. We trusted the people in form and we trusted our energy. And I think that's a major factor in these games. We've got to show, I know it sounds a bit soft factor earlier, but we have to show we want it more than them and we're going to play at a level of intensity which is higher than them because we've got more to play for. 
I would yeah. go to show that for beating one. For, for the record, just to be clear, I wouldn't play Lacazette, and I actually think we stuck with Lacazette too long, and I think it cost us. Um, you know, I don't think he was terrible, but I think we saw the signs that he was fading in terms of his impact and his quality. Um, you know, before the the games we lost, I think Eddie Nketiah came in and did well. I think maybe we have overstated. Now, look, you can't overstate how well he did in the sense that he scored two games against Chelsea to win us a game that resurrected our season. Absolutely no taking that away from him. But I think in terms of quality, I think there's another level up we can go. Look, if I'm just sitting here with my FIFA, you know, my Xbox controller and playing FIFA, I'm starting Martinelli or Pepe up front against West Ham because I want to see it. I want to see if we can be even better. If Enkedia took us up a bit a level from Lacazette because we got something he didn't have to offer, I want to see if we can go up that level higher. I think Martinelli is the better player. I think the club would probably think that. Can he be the better striker? I think so. Or Pepe. You know, and and that's not a, a disrespect to Enkedia, who is off in five games and who we think we kind of have a sense of where his, his level is generally, even if he's been great. I would continue to be trying to raise the level. And, you know, we may be playing against a West Ham that isn't as invested in the game, but my guess is they'll go a little younger. They'll be using players they don't use as much. And for those players, it's a huge moment, right? A chance to play in front of the home crowd against a big club and show them they're better. So I I don't think you can take it lightly. I mean, we're into the realm now, Tim, of stuff he won't do and, and truly into football manager FIFA type stuff. But like, I still think there's a front three that incorporates three of our more talented players that he could go to. Do you think there's any inkling? I, I don't think Pepe. I, I Clearly, like that's not a player he wants to use if he can avoid it. But mm. any inkling that maybe a Martinelli might, I, I think he will start, but might get a start through the middle and, and give Arteta an hour to look at a front three that incorporates you know, the, the future of the club, really? <laughs> No, not at this stage of the season. I don't see that happening and um, I, I wouldn't do it. I think that's something you do at the beginning of next season. Mm. Um, there's there's like a time and a place for that and this isn't First it. First Champions League group stage game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he says jinxing everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this is it, it's a bit like the Eln Any thing, right? Like I, I don't think we should give Eln Any a new contract um, or anything like that, but like we're, we're in a bit of a window where where he's useful and he should play now. And I think you just come to a, a stage of the season like that where you kind of you do as little as possible, like as little as possible in terms of tinkering. I mean, I was going to say we're also in one game a week territory, but we've been in that territory for pretty much the whole season to this point. I I I don't think he will do that. I don't think he should do that. Um, I you know I think Inketi is doing perfectly well, and and it's not like this is all so short term that I don't think it will be disrupt. Like I don't think it's going to be massively disruptive if Inketia starts like the last five games up front and then disappears in a puff of smoke. Like I don't think that's going to enormously destabilize anything because it doesn't have enough history behind it. It's just going to be one of those. Yeah, we had to fix this up to the end of the season and we got it done. And now we we go again and we have a summer to to look at certain things. But um, yeah, I I definitely don't see it happening and for probably for the first time in the last like i don't know month or two i i wouldn't really want to see it either i think i i think that's just that's an option you have off the bench um as well if you want it and and you know having like either martinelli or smith row to come on i think that's a really really good option and a good option regardless of the game state Actually, whereas Pepe, you only bring Pepe on if you want a goal. You do not bring him on if you look at if you've got something to protect. 
Um, whereas like, I think Martinelli and Smith Rowe are very adaptable kind of substitutes. You can bring that, like we brought, like we brought Martinelli on against United, like to protect Tavares. Like when you think about that, you know, Tavares like is, is 20 years old and we brought on someone who's like what one year his senior to kind of look after him. That's actually Tavares is 22 years old and we brought on someone two years, his junior to look after. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Indeed. And, and so that, that kind of tells you like, I guess about the youth of the squad that we're bringing on guys like Martinelli as like the adult Mm. in the room. So that, that tells you something about how good a substitute he is as well, because he, he's multi-game state. Um, a bit like Smith Rowe. So uh, no, I, I definitely would not tinker with anything at the moment. Yeah. I, I mean, look, realistically, I know that's probably right. I think it is sort of interesting that we go, oh, you don't want to take any risks. That's why we have to stick with Eddie and Kedia. And like, I don't think anybody at the club who runs a club would say they think Eddie and Kedia is, you know, the better player than a Martinelli or maybe even a Pepe that as recently as a few months ago, you know, we might've seen him further down the pecking order. Now he's come in, played two games that resurrected our season, and we see using Eddie and Kedia as the starting center forward in the critical run-in as the safer move. And it's funny how quickly this stuff changes. And I think you always, you know, Clive, you made this point. You always have to be looking to get better because if you aren't, you'll get bit and you'll lose a game no one saw coming. And then everyone with, you know, some post hoc analysis to say, oh, well, clearly we should have, you know, not stuck with that. And so I do think you always have to be fighting off complacency. You know, I see... Pep Guardiola going into the critical stage of the season, playing Real Madrid, playing, you know, league games, and suddenly Gabriel Jesus, who had been out of the team. So people want me to say his name right. Gabriel Jesus? Is that right? Jesus, yes. Gabriel Jesus? Yes. Gabriel Jesus comes in, and he plays those games. Jurgen Klopp moves Sadio Mane to striker in a critical game, and no one bats an eye. And, like, we find ourselves saying things, and I get why we're saying them, and I, I sort of agree with them, saying things like, Sticking with Eddie and Kedia at center forward is the safe move. And so it is interesting how, you know, just before the international break, we're saying, well, Lacazette may not be playing great, but it's not time for a change. That's the safe move until it wasn't. So I, I do think there is that balance. You always have to be looking to get better and not be complacent because something worked in specific games. And I think it's fair to say, Clive, that those games, the United and the Chelsea games, were pure, utter chaos. And it's very hard in games like that for a, a coach, I think, to analyze whether it really worked or whether it sort of worked. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it, it really worked. And it really Good. worked because well, then we, we scored, should stick with it. <laughs> we, we scored seven goals in two games, right? So for me, uh, it worked. And he was one of our forwards, right? So it worked. I often say this to people around me in my football. When you've got to pick a team for a game for your life, you soon find the right people real quick. They really become apparent, the people that you trust. And I think Eddie's done enough. And by the way, you know, I've critiqued him massively, so hands up in the air. He's done enough to say, you know what, I now know what his floor is in two games versus two of the teams that we would perceive to be better than us when we, we did our predictions at the start of the season. I don't think any of them had Manchester United below us, right? So, um, so yeah, he's done it against those teams, big clubs, big occasions, and he's given us a, a seven minimum. And I agree, Tim, I thought he was better at the weekend than he was against Chelsea, 100%. And I think he had more to do, more all-round to do. He had to work in different ways. And it was a much more of a high-pressured game, right? So 
So yeah, for me, the floor, he's raised it. He's raised it and we're going to get something from him. You know my feeling, you know my thoughts. You know, There's no problem with sharing the game with somebody. You know, it didn't bother me. But that guy deserves to start. He spent a long, t- a lot of time in a coat watching football matches. He's come in, done the business, and he deserves to start. And that's that's the way I would do it. And I have no hesi- no hesitation in that whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, I get it, right? I definitely get it. I mean, when things are working and you're just trying to get over the line, you're making a change is a risk that that doesn't necessarily feel like it's worth the reward. I mean, like a, a clear area of where I wouldn't make a change, for example, is Shaq Elneny, right? <clears throat> no one thinks that Elneny is the future of the club. In fact, he likely will be gone this summer. But that's one that clearly works, and we've seen the alternative, and it doesn't seem to, and so you stick with that. Like, I think that Tomiyasu coming back also makes the decision to stick with Nuno a lot easier because you can have that more marauding left back and everyone slides over a little bit more and Tomiyasu can tuck in a little bit and it all works out just fine. And maybe that brings the left side to life. And, you know, Martinelli being able to be a little more interior with Nuno Tavares overlapping, yeah, that could be crazy good. I, You know what's funny? So Arsenal, I don't know if you saw this, Tim. They put out their tweet saying, vote for your April player of the month. Mm. I want you to put your mind back in August, right? We'd had that terrible start. We didn't know anything about the signings we were making yet. People were kind of annoyed that Shaka was, well, not everybody. Some people were annoyed that Shaka was sticking around. Most people forgot El Nenny was probably still here. Eddie and Kedia was maybe off to Everton or, you know, where, wherever it was that he was potentially off to. And Bukayo Saka, Bukayo Saka, obviously our star boy. I want you to imagine, put yourself in the mindset of August, and someone shows you one tweet from the future. And the tweet is, vote for the April player of the month. And the candidates are Enkedia, Shaka, Elneny, and Bukayo Saka. And I asked you what position you thought we were fighting for in the league. 10th? 12th? 14th? So, I, I think with that, right, I, I, I would think one of two things. I'd think, yeah, either, yeah, the season's already over. Um, and I think maybe some players would sign some contracts as well, <laughs> to be honest. And, I'd, I, and you know, there's a chance I'd think, ooh, that must mean that Nketiah and Elneny signed new contracts and that must have meant they came into the team and played really well. Yeah, interesting. Um, well, I mean, and they have done that, but they It's a much more contracts. reasonable take than I would have had, <laughs> can but, I assure you? <laughs> or, or, like, I, 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 would, I might have believed that it's because we're at the business end of the season and, you know, shit needed to happen. Like, it happens more than you think. When teams are going for things that... They, they line up in ways that you don't really foresee. I've, I've seen it loads of times. I've seen it loads of times. Like um, when teams are like going for the title or the top four or to avoid relegation, they make a tactical tweak or something. Because usually this is the point of the season where you kind of not make do and mend, but you'll do like you'll, you'll be expedient at this point of the season. So my thinking, if I saw that in August, would either be, Okay, some of those players have played really well and have signed new contracts. Um, you know, I don't know what I'd think about Xhaka. I'd think, oh, okay, my, my, like I, I'd be fully prepared to believe that he had a really good month. I think he's had quite a lot of very good months um, as an Arsenal player. Uh, Saka, yeah, wouldn't surprise me at all. But in Ketia and El Neni, I'd, I'd either be like, this is one of three things. They've come into the team, played really well, signed new contracts, and everyone's happy about that. Um, Either the season's gone down the toilet, and but if the season had gone down the toilet, why would we be playing Elneny and Inketia anyway? Like, I mm. think my thinking would be there's probably something on the line here um, that 
that's leading to this level of expediency. But honestly, I think my honest reaction would be, okay, those guys have come in, done all right, they've signed new deals. Is that really the best thing? Yeah. I, I mean, you've got a really interesting analytical process there, Tim. I'd be saying like, no Thomas Party, no Aubameyang, no Lacazette, yeah, yeah. no Martinelli, no Smith Rowe, no White or Gabriel, who we just signed, you know, no Ramsdale. Like these are these are slim pickings. I they probably didn't score goals or many of the, you know, except Saka aside. So like, but if if I then told you that we were battling for top four and looked like mm. we had a real chance at it, it'd be hard to avoid the conclusion that wow, that man on the touchline must be killing it, right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. you'd be yeah. you'd be you'd be pretty impressed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you would. But like like I say, at this point of the season, expediency rules. And I'm yep. sure if you look around the league, that that's what's happening. Like you know, we were talking about West Ham and Leicester, right? In European semi-finals. I mean, of course, expediency rules. Like they're playing their reserves in the Premier League, like like yeah. we were this time last <clears throat> yep. season. Like that's just the time of the season. It is. It's you start to really, really prioritize and focus. Um, and like there isn't there isn't much rotation happening other than those teams in European semi-finals. And it's not what they're doing is not like light rotation or tinkering. It's we don't give a shit about the league results anymore. We're taking everyone out. Like that's not rotation. That is wholesale like resting. So what what you're not seeing at this point of the season, other than for teams who have nothing to play for, you you don't see rotation at this time of the season because everyone's playing for something. And the t- uh, the only teams that rotate in the genuine sense of the word are, are the ones who've got nothing to play for. Yeah, I mean. And look, it's a silly exercise intellectually, but I, I think it's fun to just sort of think about with the benefit of hindsight, trying to put yourself in the mindset of where you were and think of the twists and turns this season. And whether you think they're self-imposed or not, you know, in terms of what went, what went on with Aubameyang and losing Tierney and Party at such a critical moment and, you know, Lacazette totally, I think, going off the cliff at, in, at, at a minimum in terms of his ability to be a, a, a goal-scoring contributor as a striker and, you know, all the the various things that we faced and losing Tomiasso for so long. I mean, Cedric, Cedric was basically viewed as unusable last season. Chambers started ahead of him. Maitland-Niles started ahead of him. I mean, there were players starting ahead of him that, you know, are were just given away. And then he comes in and keeps the season alive. And like, it really is, it's easy to be critical of Arteta for a variety of things. It's easy to just say he's amazing. I think everybody has to at least acknowledge that the way we've kept this season going forward, even through some hardship and challenges, is incredibly impressive when you look at it with the benefit of a little bit of hindsight and think about where where we came from. Clive, I I want to sort of turn to, to some other thoughts that are maybe not as relevant for the immediate future, but I wanted to give you just sort of a chance to win. And then, I mean, the, the goal now is just, Keep it going any way you can, obviously. Like, now is not about planning for the future. Now is not about, you know, what our system or tactics will be next season. But I think it is a nice moment to just take a breath and say, first of all, the Amazon people lucked out. <laughs> they they, got, they got a special season coming up. But, like, the, the way that this season has been held together, you know, you're talking about a coach who we have to remember is still extremely young and inexperienced. He doesn't exactly have the most experienced hierarchy above him. You know, they, they have... They have their credentials, but you know we know what the background is, and to have managed this such that we are still on track to achieve our primary goal for the season—a goal that we maybe didn't even think was achievable. 
with no signings in January to come strengthen, by the way. Like, it's it's really remarkable. Yeah, I'm not in lap of honor mode yet, mate. To be honest, no, oh, I'm because, just saying just even where we are, right? Just yeah. where we are is impressive. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think it's a, incredible. I, I think it's it's a tense, it's, it really is a reflection of the the work that's been done this season in particular and taking hard decisions. Right? And I, I I know if this goes wrong, right, people are gonna look back at Aubameyang and things like that, but they're not looking back and thinking, well, since Aubameyang's gone, how have things changed, for example? We don't know what goes on behind closed doors. And all I can say, all we can do is judge on match days. And on match days, the feeling and what I'm seeing, you know, eight times out of ten is really, really good. You know, and then you look at the group and you say to yourself, okay, who's done this before? Well, not very many. You know, um, not very many have done these high-pressure games and succeeded. Right, So I think the strength is the group. And, and you know, also one thing that I was saying before, around using the extremities of the squad. Because if I'm a substitute on the bench, sitting there watching this team do such good things, I'm thinking to myself, when I get my chance, I'm not letting them down. I want to be part of that clap with the crowd at the end of the game. I want to be part of this. So I'm not going to be the one to blow this. So I'm going to come in, I'm going to make sure I'm tip-top. I want somebody, this feels good. And that is the mindset of the substitute. And this is why I was saying before, we've got to, we've got to do things, we've got to include more people. And um, I think Lacazette, I think he's paid for that. I generally think he's knackered. He's absolutely knackered. Because it seemed to come to our minds all pre- at pretty similar time that we were missing something there. When he's on it, like at Wolves, for example, there's still something in the in the tank. But he needs to be sat down for a while afterwards because he's just where he is in his in his football life, right? So the mindset of the substitute, they want to be part of this too. I always use the same quotes. John O'Shea, I think he's got, you know, and people like Johnny Evans and people like Wes Brown and and Darren, and Darren Fletcher, is it, his name? I think those guys have got four, five, six Premier League medals in their back pockets. And they wouldn't, I'll tell you now, Fergie wouldn't have won any of them without that group. You know, and and that's why I always kept that in the back in my mind. You have gotta be thinking about the group as a whole and how we can get along. And I saw Tim. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a Tim here. Tim wrote something on any today, and I really, I really liked a line in it. And he sort mo, of said, mo, "Mo Nenny, Mo Problem, something like that." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I read that earlier, and I and there's a, I, I oh because we because we speak, I know what Tim's gonna say. <laughs> you know what I mean? But but one thing he said in there was that. Something like the team coming towards El Nenny, something like that, Tim. It was, and it was that line, I thought, that was, that's really true. His role has become clearer, and the team has come to him, and, and the team needs him. And at this moment in time, in, at this moment in the season, I hope I articulated that correctly, Tim. <laughs> so like, uh, um, yeah, yeah. I re- I'm, I'm just realising I missed a really obvious mountain coming to Mohammed. Um, oh yeah. man, that would have been perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's time for a rewrite. <laughs> so, like, I think, I think, but that's re- that's really relevant. You know, that's the same player that we've critiqued on occasions for sideways and backward passes, not keeping the ball moving quickly enough, taking the safe option, not getting us going forward. He's watched his team from the sideline, realizes what he has to do, knows his role, knows he's the adult in the room. And now he feels completely emboldened to be the player that he wants to be. You know, yeah. and that's a classic example of the mindset of the substitute. Yeah, and look, I 
I don't want to make this a eulogy for, eulogy is probably the wrong word, but, you know, a celebration of Mikel Arteta's season that, oh, by the way, is still underway. And had we not won the last two games, we might have been writing a literal eulogy, a a very different kind of reaction to this. But, like, I, I do think that one thing that is obviously very tricky for a manager is to keep a whole team engaged and interested and rowing in the same direction on the boat, so to speak, especially when you only have so many minutes to offer. No Europe, out of the domestic cups, you know, relatively early, Carabao Cup aside, and to be able to bring in an Elneny from the cold and have him give the performances he had is a credit to Elneny's character and a credit to the way he's been managed and kept on side. Same with Enkedia to some extent, right? Um, You know, Cedric, again, when a whole season without being used, he was called upon and, and gave an important contribution at a critical time. Um, Nuno Tavares, you know, there was speculation as he lost him, has something gone wrong? He's come in and played critical games. Um, you know, I, I think you see this at clubs, especially successful clubs, that players who you, no, oh, I forgot he was still there, come in and wind up doing something important. I mean, the one that jumps out to me is Divac Origi at Liverpool, Clive. That, that's just the one top of my head. I don't know if you have another one that you, yeah, no, you no, would like I to don't. add, he says, reading your notes in the time. <laughs> Well, it's a good example of a, of a manager really uh, looking after a player who's a very good player, by the way. I don't know how he's sitting there not wanting to go, but he looks as happy as a pig in pig things. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, and and and, and he's a hero, <laughs> and he's a and he's a hero, isn't he? He scored a goal in the European Cup final. He's actually one of my heroes for scoring that goal in the European Cup final. Yeah, <laughs> that was so needed. I tell you that. <laughs> all, all our lives from having to deactivate every account we have. <laughs> all our lives would be a lot different. If it wasn't for Diva Karigi. So, um, and so, yeah, that's a classic example of man management and making sure everyone's on the boat, right, and ready to go. Yeah. Well. I think we should have a little fun. And the best way to have a little fun is to talk about stuff that's not relevant right now, but that's transfers. We did a full, a really fun, actually. I mean, if you've been thinking about Patreon, that'd be great. If not, by the way, you will always have these free pods. You will always have our regular post-match stuff. It'll always hopefully provide, you know, more than enough uh, Arsenal goodness. But as, you know, as is the case, there's always room for more Arsenal. And so if the Patreon's interesting you, Tim did a very illuminating like half hour deep dive into the background on Gabriel Jesus with Brazil and and uh, his background as a player. And then Clive and I watched scouting video that you watch along with us. And I have to say, it made me kind of want him uh, more than I already did, but you can be the judge. So you can certainly hop over there and join if you'd like. Uh, otherwise, you know, no problem. There will always be the free stuff for you. And we just love having you here, whichever place or way you choose to be a part of it. Um, you know, it's all about your routine. If your routine is just doing the, the Monday, Thursday pod, that's great. We love you. If your routine is the every day of the week pod, as we tend to put them out, we love you for that. Because look, I'm all about routine. I find new routines hard to integrate, like I do. But you know what routine has been extremely easy for me to integrate? Taking my AG1 from Athletic Greens. Oh, that's right. It's Athletic Greens time. And I got to tell you, like I, I hate taking vitamins and probiotics and the kombucha stuff. Oh, forget it. Get out of here. Don't want it. And then a doctor friend of mine, Ian, who was actually at the United game, very jealous. Uh, Clive should have been there too, but turned him down. Feels like an idiot. Um, yeah, he he like saw it sitting on my counter. He's like, you got to take that stuff. I take it. So I was like, well, if the doctors tell me to, and he's not my doctor, but I'll, I'll give it a try. Well, the good news is like, I love it. Uh, it tastes great. It's easy to do like 12 ounces of water. You take it once a day. You don't need to take it with food. So you don't have to time it right. And what does it give you? It gives you everything all in one go. So you get all the vitamins, you get all the probiotics, you get all the adaptogens, you get everything in there. So like I have gut health issues, just like, you know, stuff that probably shouldn't be talked about on a podcast, but I could use that help. 
Um, I have two young kids. They don't sleep great at night. I don't sleep great at night. So energy is an issue. And like, get that boost of energy. I'll, I'll tell you how much of my routine it's become. I used to have to have a cup of coffee with me in the car to drive my youngest daughter to daycare in the morning. Now that's my AG1 time. And then the, the coffee is later. I still do the coffee. <laughs> don't you worry. That, that's a habit I'm not going to break. But so I think you're going to love it. And I, I think it simplifies a routine. It tastes good. It's easy to take. And it gets you so much good stuff. Now, a few things you should know about it. First of all, it's lifestyle friendly. So if you're keto or paleo or vegan or dairy-free, gluten-free, no problem. It's less than a gram of sugar. So it's even better than like those gummies that people take. And then just all the vitamins flow right out of you. So uh, supports better sleep quality and recovery, better mental clarity and alertness. One of the things that I really like is that <clears throat> it, it is a company that believes in sustainability and, and they're climate neutral, but you know we are very uh, philanthropic in our mindset here. They donated over 1.2 million meals to kids in 2020 with the No Kids Hungry program. So I love that. There's over 7,000 five-star reviews for Athletic Greens that you can go and read about. So lots, lots and lots of good stuff there. It's a small microhabitat, big benefits. You get adaptogens, you get vitamins, you get probiotics. Now, Here's what you get from us. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of the immune-supporting vitamin D, which, by the way, if you live somewhere like here where it's never sunny, that's helpful, and five free travel packs. So if you're planning on traveling, you can take it with you easily with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash vision. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash vision to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I love it, and I think you will as well. <clears throat> and what you will love is also having the best company on the planet, and you'll have that when you hire the best talent. Indeed is the only place where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed is the only job site that does that. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find the right candidates, you need the one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all with, with, with time-saving tools like instant match assessments and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description. You can invite them to apply right away, by the way. You invite them. So they're like, oh, what job should I go to? I don't know. I don't know. And then you invite them, and they're like, I love this company because they want me. And in a challenging job market, <clears throat> that could be the edge you need. And you only pay when you get the quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. Wish everything in the world worked like that. Indeed makes it easy to start hiring great talent. According to Comscore, they're the number one job site in the entire world world. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash blue wire. Offer valid through April 30th. Go to indeed.com slash blue wire to claim your $75 sponsored job credit before April 30th. Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire an Indeed Clive. Is that enough of that? Indeed. Nailed it. <clears throat> Let's talk transfers. Timmy. Yeah. It is a beautiful thing when we engage our jinx. Usually it's not a beautiful thing, let's be honest. And I think we have engaged it so hard because we started talking about Gabriel Jesus. We started mm -hmm. scouting videoing him and talking about him on the pod. And next thing you know, he scores four goals with an assist against Watford, comes on and scores what I think is a lovely goal in a start against Real Madrid that Manchester City won in chaotic uh, Mikel Arteta fashion. This player is one that I like. It's a move that I think makes sense. I would go for him. Uh, I think we've won over a lot of people to that viewpoint recently, but how are you? Let me take your temperature on this transfer now. Uh, do you think we've reached the level now where suddenly we're going to get gazumped by Newcastle? <laughs> yeah, it could be. Um, I mean, I'd imagine if indeed this is going to happen, um, I imagine it's probably been in the works for a little while, like that these conversations have been going on. And, and look, I don't know how much value that has if someone just comes in and says, yeah, yeah, we're going to offer more money though. Um, but 
I, I do think, basically, I think if Arsenal are seriously interested, I think they can get it done just because of the price and the links between the player and the coach and the director of football. Like, put it this way, unless someone came in with absolutely ridiculous money, which I, I don't actually see because he's already kind of been at a super club with absurd money. Um, so I, I don't see like, I don't know, I don't see like PSG or I, I don't know, maybe Chelsea would be interested actually if they want to get rid of Lukaku, but I, I just don't see. And Werner uh, and Havertz. <laughs> yeah, lot, yeah, yeah. A lot of expensive guys up there. Yeah, it, it's almost like they just throw money at players without thinking about it really. Might um, be changing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so I, like maybe I'm jinxing it here anyway, but I, I don't see a club with, drastically more money than us like really coming in like if we couldn't get this deal done in you know assuming we are very, actually the reporting's right and we're serious about it like you know that that would be slightly problematic i think and you know on the newcastle comment from everything i'm reading and seeing like they're not they're not going to do that straight away they're doing a bit more slowly and surely um type stuff and i think it's really interesting that actually what oh they, you poor naive bastard <laughs> <laughs> let's just wait and see <laughs> yeah yeah may, maybe maybe but like when you look at what they I'm did in january there there was like three like levels of signings like mm-hmm. like guimarish right that that's mm-hmm. like that's the level of signing. Like, I think their summer will be similar to January. They'll do like a Guimaraes style signing. And then I think, you know, there might be a, like a, a Kieran Trippier or a Chris Wood or a Dan Byrne or something. But I think, I mean, I think like they're saying that with like financial restrictions and FFP and stuff like that, they can't just go out and mm-hmm. like smash a hundred million on, on someone anyway. So I, I think they'll build like I think what they'll do is go, okay, let's let's be a club where relegate like at first where relegation is just absolutely not a question. Let's finish in the top half. And then from there let's challenge for Europa League. Like I, I think it will be a few years. Oh, and once they get to that level, I think it, it will get quicker, you know, like um when when you look at what Man City did, they bought like Gareth Barry and James Milner and Jolian Lescott. Um, and then all of a sudden they were able to get Carlos Tevez, like because you know once you start building something, you you maybe persuade some more players. But and there was I an think, awful lot of shady shit with that too. If I remember well, correctly. yeah, yeah. Um, but there's you know that like I I don't see Newcastle gazumping us for players yet. That don't get me wrong, that is in the tea leaves. But I don't think it will happen this summer. So mm. essentially, I think if Arsenal really want Gabriel Jesus, which I don't know if they do, I think they can get him. Yeah, it's it's a great point, right? Because this is a player the manager knows, and presumably he must like him, and I would presume the player likes him as well, if this is even being discussed. The director of football, or whatever Edu's name is, president of football, I I, I can't remember, I can't keep track, but technical director, fine, knows him well and has the relationship you know, with him to, to make the deal happen. The money certainly doesn't seem like it'd be prohibitive because he's not on ridiculous wages, amazingly, and he's in the last year of his deal. And Manchester City are bringing in a guy that, you know, obviously is going to get any of the playing time he might be after. And oh, by the way, he might go on and win the Champions League this season. Having just, you know, scored against Real Madrid in a European semifinal, he's been there a while, he's entering his prime, he's probably ready for a new challenge. And is he ready in his prime to help a Newcastle try to be relevant? Or would he rather go to a a manager he knows, in a league he knows, to play some European football, whatever that is, and and build a new project. And and like I said, I think on the scouting video, 
he could play for us in his 25, 26, 27-year-old season. And if he's fantastic, he could then go on and be a Barcelona striker or a Real Madrid striker for 100 million pounds. That's not off the table. And stay in a club in a position where he keeps his place in Brazil, in the Brazil team potentially. Maybe he does play striker for Arsenal more often than not. And, and that goes back to being the striker for Brazil. But like, it ticks a lot of boxes, Clive. It just, I mean, first of all, we watched him. You can, you can ooh and ah on this podcast. I mean, I don't know if you follow Eddie Longbridge on Twitter. He posted all of my outtakes of the groans I made at the nice moves that uh, Jesus put on during our scouting video. And it is not something to listen to with the kids in the room. It's not pleasant. I don't recommend it. But like, he just looks like exactly what we need. Versatility across the front three, entering his prime, knows the manager, has played in the league, has played at the elite level, and and it's not a prohibitively expensive deal in a summer where we probably need two of these guys. And so you could go for a Jesus and a Gakpo or a Jesus and a, I mean, if you want to push the boat out for like an awesome hen, I, I don't see that happening. But like you can have one of those sort of riskier guys from another league and Jesus and it's a hell of a summer. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's when you watch him sort of on the videos it, and you watch Man City, I mean, let's, let's be honest, right? We're, we're budget city when it comes to playing style. The playing style is incredibly similar. They're a bit sharper in certain areas, and they've got Kevin De Bruyne, obviously, they've got a goalkeeper that can fizz it from anywhere. And they've got some top, top level defenders with depth. You know, they've got Nathan Aki at 47 million as their like fourth centre back and third left back. That's the sort of levels that they have. We haven't got that depth yet, right? So that's why Mo Alini and Tim wrote an article about him, right? So that, that's where we are at the moment. But yeah, when you watch Jesus play, it's it's obvious that he plays exactly to the same style and principles that we have in our team today. When he loses the ball, he presses really hard. He intercepts loads. He can he can play in almost any zone of the pitch in in the opposition half, um, and I include right by the corner flags with that. I mean, literally, he can stop and start you. He can turn. He can post up, turn around the corner. He's got moves, he's got creativity, he's got coy flicks around the back. He's got a lot of stuff just to make sure the ball goes to his teammate in a creative way. Um, I listened to Tim speak about him. He's always a winger that turned forward. When he's running in from the left, he looks totally at home. When he's running in from the right, he looks totally at home. He does a Theo out to in run without the ball. He does a Saka straight line run for the Ben White clip over the top. I mean... Um, we watch this movie, we're going, oh my God, this, this is like, well, <laughs> and this is, this is like everything that we do in one player. Yeah. We haven't got to make two substitutions. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, literally, it's everything we do in one player. So you just do that. It just makes sense. Contractually, it makes sense. Age wise, it makes sense. He's now settled to the league. I heard Tim say he speaks good English now. I'm, I'm trying to find a fault. Uh, I, did, I watched him play the other night. I thought he, I thought he was pretty good. Just wanted to come off. Again, game for your life, Pep picks him. Against Liverpool, he picks him. He scored eight goals against Liverpool in his time against them. He scored a winner against Chelsea away this season in a 1-0 victory when Chelsea were seen to be the title favourites at that time. He sorted them out, bang. It's, it looks really good. And it's about keeping the price down because every time you speak about a player, 25 million goes on top. You mentioned Gakpo's name. When I first liked him, he was a, he was a 20 million pound player. Now that's suddenly 40, and that makes me think, well, you were a development project. Is 40 million, is that the right number? You know, you then you start to look at other players that are more developed, like a, a Tammy Abraham, for example. You look at someone like that, and you say, well, if you're going to spend 40 million on, 
on a 22-year-old from the Dutch league, we might as well spend 50 million on Tammy Abraham, right? So, so these are the things we're going to have to decide in the next few weeks, and and I'm here for it, as you know. <laughs> I love a rumor, and I, and I love a comp video, and another thing to think about also is how we supplement our our defense, right? So, um, we've seen creaking fullbacks injury wise. Some people can't even watch Nuno about putting their hands over their eyes. I'm not one of those, but we definitely need something on the right back side because the gap between uh, Tommy and Cedric's a little bit large, right? So there's some rumours out there on that. And centre midfield, what are we going to do there, right? So this is the stuff I love, right? Just just building the team for next season. Yeah, I mean, it, it is sort of weird how you can have people fall in love with the idea of signing a guy like Alexander Izak, for example, who's a lovely player, but like literally, I, I don't think he scored a goal this year and he's going to be whatever it is. What, what's he going to cost? 70 million? Something ridiculous? Um, you know, a lot of potential, sure. And then people will turn their nose up at like 35 million for a 25, just turned 25 year old Premier League experienced guy who can play all across the, the front three and is scoring goals against Real Madrid in the Champions League. Like I, I get it. These players, you know, you know their flaws, but I do want to emphasize there's no Thierry Henry walking through that door this summer. You look at, at Liverpool, and no one was quaking in their boots when they signed Jota or Salah or Sadio Mane or even Luis Diaz, I, I would suggest. They spend $35 million on forwards, and they turn them into £100 million players because they scout them properly and they know their talents. You then see clubs like Chelsea spend $80 million on Werner and $80 million on Havertz and $80 million on Lukaku, and they can't rub them together and make one effective striker. I mean, maybe that's harsh on Havertz, who's been decent for them. But like, it, it is it is the reality that there are warts on the players in this striker market, and and I don't think you're going to find a a more round peg in a round hole kind of situation than with Jesus. Um, who the second one is other than Jesus? That'll be a story for the summer, I would expect. Tim, before we get out of here, oh, and by the way, Kaya Kanyak from uh, Kanyak, sorry, from uh, Football London is coming on uh, as well. He'll be up in a, in just a couple minutes. But Tim. The other thing that's sort of happening right now is a potential managerial mer- merry-go-round, and Klopp has just resigned. He's going to be at Liverpool till 2026 now, it looks like. Um, and Pochettino is out at PSG, and Conte is, you know, being linked with PSG. I do think it's lovely that the very, very critical end of the season, Spurs manager is being linked with a move away. Any, any little distraction could help. But I'm curious how you see all, all of this shaking out. I mean, I have to admit, it pains me to say it, but I... I do envy what Liverpool have in Klopp. Mm-hmm. And maybe we are building that very kind of relationship and that very kind of um, situation with Arteta. I think that you could draw some parallels, although they're very different in a lot of ways. But him staying till 2026 certainly to me suggests that he believes Liverpool are committed to continuing to try to, you know, defy gravity is the best way I can put it in, mm. in their battle with city. And I, I certainly don't expect Pep to stay that long, but maybe he will find that the clash with Klopp is, is worth the squeeze. So how do you see those situations all shaking out and the impact of Klopp in particular staying till 2026? Yeah, I, I think um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Guardiola did stay um, just because it, it's a really good job for him. Like for both of them, the club is just completely built in their image and that's that. That's a difficult thing to find elsewhere. Like Pep went to Bayern, and you know Pep is Pep, but Bayern are just like fuck you. You fit in with Bayern. That's what happens. Like you come and manage Bayern, you're like we manage you. You don't manage us, type thing. 
Um, so I, I like both of them might think actually what I've got here is I've got a super club, but I've got an emerging super club, not one, you know, not like Real Madrid, um, who like sack managers every, and obviously Pep won't go to Real Madrid, but you know, who just like go through managers cause they don't care about managers cause then the club is much bigger. Like if you're Klopp, you've got the best of both worlds. You've got like that really historic club who have like a, a big history, particularly in Europe, and, you know, it all went a bit stale for like 20 odd years for them. And he's the one who's revived it. So it's like that they are like a super club historically. And to be honest, they were a super club in name only for quite a long time. But now they are again, like they're they're possibly the best team in the world at the moment. So that that's an ideal job for him. And ev- everything that he wants, like that emotional connection, like... Liverpool and Klopp are just made for each other, really. And I think the best thing we can hope for is, I guess, a kind of Wenger situation where, you know, it turns a bit sour. Or Because what this contract means is he will rebuild that team. Like, he will, and not just rebuild it, but he'll get a good amount of time with the next team. So, and, you know, to what Clive was saying the other day, you can already see that team's beginning to emerge with like Diaz and Jota and they're signing young players like Carvalho and Harvey Elliott and they've got Curtis Jones there and like the the T a lot of the team beneath the team is kind of there. Um but you know he'll he'll have to repl- like he'll have to um replace that whole front three. He'll have to replace Van Dyke. Like Van Dyke's not gonna be playing at that level till twenty twenty six, I shouldn't imagine. So Henderson, like play like important players like that, but he'll get a shot at doing that. He'll get a shot at building a second Liverpool team. And that that can be difficult. Um I have to say I I do think, you know, he's pretty equipped to do it. He's shown that. Um and, and I don't think there's any sign that we're gonna get like the burnout that he got at Borussia Dortmund and 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 so like I, I think like I say, like in terms of us competing with Liverpool, really our chance is that either it goes a bit stale or the fact that he has to rebuild the team anyway um, mm. and that that will take a little bit of time and, and maybe that opens a door for us. But yeah, it's uh, look, the manager, I've said this many, many times, particularly with our situation with Arteta, the, the managerial market is depressed. There are more big clubs than there are great managers. Yeah. Um, there, there's there's a supply and demand issue there at the moment. So if you're Liverpool, of course you hold on to Klopp with all your life. If you're City, of course you offer yes, Pep, yes, Pep, three bowls, bloody full Pep, yes. <laughs> and and that's probably I've always thought that probably informed our decision to stick with Arteta when it got a bit sticky because, frankly, there was no one else there. Um, really like that that ship kind of sailed for us in in some of the later Wenger years so I I understand like why Arsenal didn't sack Arteta when I think it would have been reasonable for them to do so because the the market's just not there at the moment for managers and and yeah it, it like and then what some of these managers find is they run out of clubs um, eventually I think that will happen to Conte um, as well he'll go to PSG he'll win the league probably won't win the Champions League They'll chew him up, spit him out, and then he'll look for the next kind of super club. Um, yeah, but yeah. I, I, I don't really see Pep or Klopp going anywhere anytime soon, and I have to say, I, I don't think I see Arteta going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, Tim, I, I want to get uh, Clive's final thought on that. Can you stick for two minutes before we get out of here? I, you, you got to jump. I, I've got to go. Yeah, All unfortunately. Right. Can I just ask you to leave your browser open? Yes, no problem. Brilliant. Okay, Tim's on Twitter. Roberto, thanks, Tim. My pleasure uh, as always. Uh, Kaya's coming up. 
momentarily. But Clive, before we do that, I do want to get your thoughts on this. I guess all I would say is part of my calculus that Arsenal could make a title charge in the next few seasons is based on the youth in our team, their projected development, Arteta's development as a manager, and the added buying power we get by being back in the Champions League eventually, and Pep and Klopp moving on. And by doing that, a bit of a new cycle having to start at those clubs, and we take advantage of the little bit of a window where that new cycle is starting. Because let's face it, Liverpool might win a second title under Klopp this season. They might not. But in order to have won their titles, they're going to have to get close to 100 points. I mean, there is very, very thin air up at the top and very little margin for error. And you can be an excellent, excellent team, as Liverpool have been, and not win a title in this situation. So I kind of priced into my projection that we could be a title contender in a few seasons. The idea that maybe these guys move on to new challenges, if they don't do that, it's just that bit harder, isn't it? The thing about City and Liverpool is not just the Klopp and Guardiola thing. It's the intelligence by which they operate, right? So Mm. their recruitment is just unbelievable. And just take, for example, Diaz, for example. I mean, when um, they were being linked and Spurs were being linked, I had a quick look like I I do. As soon as you see him, you think, crikey, if Liverpool get him, they're in business. And now look at him, right? He looks unbelievable, right? So then it's just that intelligence around the recruitment is is key and it's not just the money aspect. So for the first time, we've shown a level of intelligence. I should say the first time, but it feels like the first time in modern Arsenal, we've shown a level of intelligence when it comes to recruitment that makes me think, okay, we sort of know what we're doing again. And this is why I've decided to sort of look past the Arteta thing as much and say, okay, is the club operating appropriately? Does it have an idea? Does it have a strategy? Is it prepared to go through with it? Is it prepared to make hard decisions? Is it looking at its squad value, buying at the right age? Now, positionally, how we lay on top of this is that level of intelligence which tells me, ah, oh, okay, they know what they're doing. And if I think that, all of the good agents of all the good players will start to look around and say, that club knows what they're doing. Not everyone can play for Liverpool and City. And by the way, Chelsea could be going to rocky ground. Manchester United, they've got they've got some serious blowy-up housekeeping to do. So Arsenal are sitting there well-positioned, as are Spurs. But Spurs are still trying to use their goal scorers at 29-30 to get them to the promised land. And it may still happen mm. for them. And they've still got revenues to squeeze out of their ground, naming rights, etc. But Arsenal is sitting there with a young manager, a young team, bright stars in the England squad, a coach that teaches and develops people. Players get better when they arrive. And you look and you say, okay, there's something there. Let me watch a little bit longer. I don't quite trust them yet. Let's see where they go. But if we get to where we're going to get to, I think we become a very attractive proposition again. And that's going to get us closer to those two guys. We've got to find 25 points from somewhere, right? We're not going to find that without additions. We're not going to find that without good development. But we are positioned to do both. You know, and I think that's really what makes it exciting. So I don't give up, Elliot. I think we can still get to these teams and if you don't have that mindset i think it's uh i think we're doing the, we're in the wrong game you know what i mean we've got mm-hmm. to believe we can catch them even though they look super efficient at the moment yeah i mean it impossible no maybe a little harder than we might have hoped maybe um but let's face it also we are potentially ahead of schedule right now we we can afford to be a little patient and i think 
seeing the fan reaction right now. Look, everybody wants a title again at Arsenal, but you still got to put one foot in front of the other and do it one step at a time or you risk actually destroying the project by doing it the wrong way. So let's just take a deep breath. Let's get through this season, figure out what the next step in the process is. We got to get Kaya in here and we got to get Clive out of here because, um, you know, we can't overexpose you to Clive. We got to keep some Clive in the tank for that show at Union Chapel in London on May 21st. General sale tickets are available right now. You'll see the link in this show description. We hope to see you there. Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Don't go anywhere. Kaya will be up in like a tenth of a second. Stay with us. Okay, we're back, and it is my great pleasure to introduce Kaya Kainak, who you can find on Twitter at KayaKainak97, and you can find his wonderful reporting in Football London. Hello, Kaya. Hi, Elliot. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing pretty well. I think I think all of us are are in a pretty good mood, a pretty positive mood right now. But uh the last time we found ourselves feeling positive and looking ahead to a game that I think we anticipated going our way, uh it didn't happen. And uh, it didn't happen three times in a row, unfortunately. Okay. We've really turned the season around obviously with these last two games, but they were very unique games. High emotion, big club opposition, um chaotic games with you know lineups that were maybe held together with a little bit of, of spit and duct tape and, and it worked and now Mikel has to figure out how much to take away from those games as a going forward strategy versus just being right for the occasion and he finds himself facing and you know I guess West Ham might want to consider themselves a big club I leave that to them but a game where you know they have more important things on their radar I think it's very fair to say we were recording this prior to their first leg uh, of their Europa League semifinal uh, against Frankfurt, but they will have the second leg after playing us on Sunday. And I would expect some heavy rotation and some younger players to come in. And I wonder how you think Mikel might respond to that. Do you think that he will want to leave untouched what has worked in those two games or see this as an opportunity to tweak it for the opposition? It's a really difficult balance for him to strike, isn't it? Because obviously the Chelsea and Man United games were such unique ones in that they were, like you say, very stretched out. They weren't the kind of tight, compact games that Arsenal played against Palace, Brighton and uh, Southampton, where sort of particularly towards the end, Palace sat back, Brighton sat back, Southampton definitely sat back. And uh, um, Man U and Chelsea sort of came at Arsenal, which which gave them a bit of space in behind to, to try and exploit. And they did that pretty well on the counter-attack. I, I I don't know because we're expecting West Ham to do something more similar to the first three where Arsenal obviously lost those games and their tactics generally are to, to sit a bit deeper and defend and look to hit on the counter. But I think even more so now with the amount of central defenders they're missing, obviously Craig Dawson's going to be suspended, Zuma's injured, uh, Bonner's injured, and we're not quite sure on the fitness of Diop. So like that, that's a pretty beleaguered back line, whichever way you spin it for West Ham. So that, in theory, creates opportunities for Arsenal. And I think... If you're Eddie and Ketty, you're looking at that back line and you're thinking, right, there's some goals here for me in this game. I think the same for Saka, the same for Smith-Rowe or Martinelli, whoever starts on the left-hand side. I personally would look to to stick with the front three that did so well against United and Chelsea because I, I kind of feel like they haven't done anything wrong to deserve being changed. And I feel like um, Smith-Rowe's sort of ability to play in small spaces up against that tight block of West Ham is going to be really helpful. But slightly deeper, then I would look to change things just a little bit because I think Arsenal are probably going to be hit on the counter uh, by West Ham, which is obviously different from what they've really experienced in the previous two games. And I just wonder if bringing Tomiyasu back for that game might be might be the good time to do it. It's, it's a difficult one because obviously he's been so unfortunate with injuries and every time Arsenal have rushed him back in the past, it's not really worked out. But 
I just think against the aerial threat that West Ham have got, uh, obviously Antonio is fantastic in the air and he's not the only one in that West Ham side is very good in the air. I think it might be a time for, for Tommy to come back with seven more days training under his belt. And yeah, I, I would look to bring him in just, just to offset that, that counter-attacking threat that West Ham have. Yeah, I, I mean, I would question whether Antonio will start this game. You know, mm. whether he maybe will come in and play is another question. But yeah, I, I definitely see that. I think the the challenge when you've turned to players that were maybe less favored, as Mikel has done with El Neni and Enkedia and to some extent Nuno Tavares, and then they go and get you results, but in a very chaotic fashion in very big games, then you get back to maybe what's more of a a traditional type game, right? Um, where the emotion and the badge that you're playing against aren't as intense, uh, aren't as, you know, maybe don't dictate the mood and the approach as much. Do those tactics and and players that you called on, do they work again in a game like this? And I, I really don't know the answer to that. I'm curious about the Lacazette situation because there's absolutely no looking past what Eddie Nketiah has done for this team in the last two games. But again, if you're talking about a deeper block or, you know, a more organized defense and counterattacking football against us, I wonder if there will be an instinct to go back to Lacazette, who, while I think his link-up play and contribution was maybe being overstated a little bit, Kaya, like he, he is someone who was pretty essential to the way we were playing in those games where we had more possession and more territory prior to the international break. So how do you see that going? Yeah, he, he was sort of until other teams kind of figured him out. And I think Palace started off a trend where they realised if you smother Lacazette when he's playing, you kind of can stop Arsenal attacking as a whole. Uh, Vieira Agreed. said in his yep. post-match press conference, he, I think he said that we just had one of our back four ready to jump out whenever Lacazette got the ball. And I think if you stop him, don't give him the time to turn, then um, he's sort of, he gets nullified quite easily. If you think back to the reverse fixture, um, in December, when obviously West Ham came to the Emirates, Martinelli scored a goal that was kind of set up by the Lacazette dropping deep and link-up play. And I think he managed to draw Craig Dawson out of defence. Obviously, Craig Dawson will be suspended for this game, but whoever's covering for him. Maybe Arteta might be thinking something similar can be repeated, but I don't know if West Ham would repeat that kind of mistake. I think they'd look, mm. to, they'd look to just let Lacazette do his thing if he was playing. I think Nketiah does pose... A different threat, and by no means am I saying Enketia is the answer or he's perfect or they should give him a ten-year contract or whatever. I just think that, in comparison to Lacazette and the way Lacazette's been snuffed out by teams across the league, I think it makes sense to to stick with him, and also more importantly for his confidence and for the sense of sort of, I guess, uh, meritocracy across the rest of the squad. I think it's important that when players come in and do well, that they seem to be given a chance to continue. Obviously, there are hierarchies in the squad and Lacazette's a senior player and then maybe he might argue that he deserves to be back in on the basis of that. But I think from a tactical and maybe a slight less uh, um, sort of important fairness perspective, I think Nketiah's got to be in the side again just because I think West Ham will find it pretty easy to, to snuff out Alexander Lacazette. Yeah, I mean, you always want to do what you think can get you the result first and foremost, but there is a managing the squad component, and I think fairness and meritocracy are principles that most managers have to adhere to. What makes it tricky, Kaya, is that, like, neither of those players are going to be here next season, or at least, Mm. I presume, you know, you never know. And so, it's not a case of of needing to protect the feelings of either player, per se, um, so I think he can just really strictly go with what he thinks is best where it might be a little more of a close call is like a Smith Rowe and a Martinelli. Um, and, and I think that both of those players are obviously a big part of the Arsenal future. How do you see 
that battle generally for that position. I think I've I've thought of Smithrow as more of an interior and more of a you know maybe an eight, and Martinelli is more of either a a potential center forward or an out and out winger. I don't know if that's necessarily the case, having watched them a lot this season. Maybe we have to break down our, our preconceived misconceptions about these players. But do you have a feeling for which player maybe suits Arteta more? You know, what each player adds and who he might call on more down the stretch or just a 50-50 guess each game? Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you say um, Smith-Rose. You, you view him as, as more of a, a left-eight kind of interior player. Obviously, he played the right-eight earlier in the season. and Yeah. I'm I'm more of a fan of him on the left wing personally. I just think it makes more sense to have him there. I think I think people maybe overstate how good a passer he is just because I totally of when agree. he came into yeah. the team. Yeah, yeah. Because if you think back to when he came in on that Boxing Day, Arsenal was so devoid of creativity, and it had been Willian for three months. And I think maybe people had started to see what they wanted to see with Smith Rowe rather than necessarily seeing what was there. And then obviously Erdegaard came in not long after. And I think you realize Erdegaard is obviously the technical leader of this team. He's a fantastic passer. And I think Smith Rowe can't really match that. I think he's a much better dribbler than he's given credit for. And he's, he's very quick up sort of across short bursts, maybe not the quickest over like a hundred meters. And not you'd ever be running a hundred meters in a football match, but over 10 meters or something, he is, I think a very quick player. And I think his dribbling to get to the byline makes him the perfect player for a left wing, sort of in a, a style, a la, I think people have made these comparisons before, so I'm not claiming to be original with this, but like Freddie Inberg, Thomas Rosicki, Robert Perez, mm. those kind of players. I think yep. those those are a bit more what a Mill Smith Rowe is than more of a, a sort of a central creative midfielder. That's not to say that he won't ever be used there, but for me, whenever I've seen Smith Rowe used as either of the the eights this season, I, I just feel he hasn't been able to to play his best, and I, I think he's he's looked a bit less impactful than when he plays on the left wing. The the unfortunate thing for him is Gabriel Martinelli's also looked really good when he's played on the left wing. So mm-hmm. that's the that's the the dilemma Arteta faces. It's it's weird because they're, they're they're two very different players, but they have two very similar skill sets, and they're both very good finishers, and they're both very quick and good dribblers. So I don't really know in terms of deciding between the two. It, it's so hard, and I think Arteta is fortunate enough to go on sort of a game by game basis with those two because they're both so impressive and they're both in such good form that it's kind of a case where if one gets left out they can't really have too many complaints just because the quality of the the next player is is so high so I don't know I think for for this weekend I think when um, you're looking to maybe sort of use a bit more of a chisel than a than a hammer to to break down this West Ham defense I do think that Smithrow has a little bit more delicacy in the build-up than Martinelli so I would go for him over over Martinelli, but that's not to say that um, that doesn't mean that um, Martinelli can't come back in. I think I, I, people have made the point that sort of I think Clive makes the point quite a lot actually about sort of starting 11s not really being too important. It's about the squad game. I think Arteta's pretty much in line with that, and he kind of wants a Swiss Army knife attack, so ready for whatever opposition sort of give to Arsenal. I think this Arsenal attack, he wants them ready for it. So Martinelli and Smith Rowe, two very different options. And I think, you know, I think they'll go on a game by game basis just to to see who starts games. And unless one hits a really, really good run of form where you sort of you can't be dropping them, then I think it's a case of yeah, just going game by game and deciding between the two. Yeah, it it's really difficult, right? Because it seems like sometimes these players who don't have the best games score goals. And when that happens, it distorts mm. the whole conversation around whether they should be starting or how they played. And like I kind of feel like Smith Rowe has been a little bit peripheral in yeah. these last two games, but 
you really can't beat the goal (laughs) scored. Um, And when you do that, you get yourself picked again. And like the irony is I actually think Martinelli maybe suits Tavares on the left a little bit more only because I do think he's a little bit of a better presser and a little bit more aggressive running back defensively and covering the space in behind. And so Mm. I think he can help Tavares more. And I actually think he did do that when he came on um, late in the game against United. Whereas I think you're right. I think Smith Rowe is better for picking a lock than hammering down the door. But if we want to press and win the ball back high up the pitch, and if we want to give that protection to Nuno, then that that leans towards Martinelli. And so I guess it just depends. Are we thinking in terms of what we're doing on the ball, where I think Smith Rowe maybe fits that a little better right now, versus what we're doing off the ball, pressing and recovery runs, where Martinelli fits that a little better. Yeah, it's a really difficult one to to decide. It's interesting. You mentioned that the sort of Smith Rowe floating in and out of games. I think back to that Brentford game where I thought he was kind of non-existent for the first half and then five minutes into the second half, he pops up with a goal and suddenly we're all talking yep. about playing him as a false nine uh, when, you know, we've, we're not really sure where he's going to play. So uh, I personally, yeah, like you say, the goals are kind of hard to ignore at this stage of the season. Smith Rowe seems to be scoring them. Martinelli hasn't scored as many for a little while and... That might just just swivel it, but it's, it's yeah, it's a really close call. I think you make a really good point about the the high pressing, and I, I was sort of thinking as you were saying, I was like, I've just made a call for Enkatia to be in because I think he's more energetic up front, and then to say I don't want Martinelli in for the same reason kind of seems a bit hypocritical. But I don't know. Um, yeah, you, d- you need uh, different profiles, though. I think that's yeah, fair, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And we've got Saka, so everything's going to be fine. Exactly, <laughs> no, no problem exactly. there. Um, do do you see Nicola Pepe playing? any kind of important role in the run-in. Like, I mean, I I have no, I, I really have no interest in this one way or the other at this point. There was a time where I felt that we should be using Pepe more and we were underutilizing him, but he is what he is. His Arsenal career it seems to be drifting, and I think Arsenal would be okay with it drifting to a conclusion this summer. But he is in the team, and he does have goals in his boots, and we've seen him score some important ones. Down the stretch, the interesting thing is, if you wanted to pick the best points in Nicola Pepe's Arsenal career, they were all run-ins, I think. I think he's had mm. pretty good run-ins and, and yeah. finished season strong. I think in Project Restart, he finished strong. I think, was it last season that he finished as one of our, our yeah, really yeah. best players, I think? So, you know what? He is a player that that has something to offer in a team that, in terms of scoring goals, can struggle. But we know that the manager, for one reason or another, tends not to show the faith in him. Do, do you think that the... There is room for him to still have an important role to play between now and the last, the end of the season. I, I don't really, and I, I think Pepe. It's not a case of him necessarily not being good enough or Arteta not rating him. I think it's kind of similar to the Eddie and Ketia case, where Arteta was always saying that I want to give him more minutes. There just aren't enough minutes to go around. Whenever he's been asked about Pepe, he sort of said those things, which I think is in contrast to last season, where he was a bit more openly critical of Pepe and sort of saying. The onus is on him to to make more to sort of do more to convince me to let him play. Whereas I think this time, whenever you hear him talk about Pepe, it's always, oh, he's great on the training ground. If you see the way he's trained, I would love to give him more minutes, but I just haven't been able to. And I think that is the case. It's unfortunate for him because I, I really do hear the argument to have Nicola Pepe playing more games and more minutes because he is obviously one of Arsenal's better finishers. And I think in a team that's lacking goals like this Arsenal side has been up until the past two games where they've nowhere scored seven. I think, yeah, obviously you want to kind of bring Pepe in, but who do you bring him in in place of? We just had a, a lengthy debate about which one you're going to play out of Martinelli and Smith Rowe. You throw Pepe into the mix on the left-hand side, I don't really see it. Do you play him instead of Bakayo Saka? No. 
you can't really play him up front. I don't that, think that's a daring take you've put out there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, I, I, you invited me on for my hot take, so I thought I'd try and give as many as possible. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I just I, it's really unfortunate because I think he's a great player, and I think that he definitely does have plenty to offer Arsenal. I just don't think between now and the end of the season, in answer in direct answer to your question, I don't think he'll be making too big a contribution. If I were him, I would look to leave in the summer just because it doesn't look like Saka's going to be getting any worse anytime soon. And I think even if Saka were to get an injury, I'm not sure if it would be Pepe coming straight in or if we'd see maybe Martinelli going over to the right wing, which is what happened earlier in the season. So, yeah, it's unfortunate for Pepe because I think there's a good player in there. And I think if he hadn't been signed for 72 million, if he'd come in for maybe 25, 30, that kind of thing, then I think we'd be saying, oh, what a great signing he was, what a great servant he's been. He's showed up in these clutch moments like the... Europa League semi-final first leg where he was the best player against Villarreal in my opinion um, so yeah I just I don't see him getting too many game time uh, opportunities between now and the end of the season which is it's going to be harsh on him but I think it's just going to be the way it is unless of course injuries do take their toll but I think it's unlikely yeah well I mean look the most important thing is that Arsenal win not that we keep any particular player happy I just think that there's going to be a key moment to get a key goal, and I still think he's someone who can do it. And, and mm. you know, the challenge of a manager is to keep everybody in the whole group engaged. And he's shown that he can do that with Elneny, and he's shown that he can do that with Nuno Tavares, and he's shown that he can do it with Eddie Nketiah, and I, I hope he's able to do it with Pepe because I could just see that being important still. Um, hey, quick, before we wrap up and shift gears on one final point, do you think there's any possibility that that we declared um, Thomas Party's season over too soon? Like, I get he's just like on a bike or he's on a treadmill and that doesn't mean anything. But also like if you're a player and you know fans are desperate for you to come back, why post those videos unless you still think you've got a shot to make it before the end of the season? Any thoughts there? Yeah, Party's always been someone who has personally always wanted to get back as quick as possible. If you think back to that North London derby, I think it was him who was sort of pressing Arteta to get the game time. And if you think back earlier this season, there was that obviously that Carabao Cup tie against AFC Wimbledon which has sort of gone down as a game that no one ever saw. So people question if it really happened, but I was there. It did happen. I can confirm it did. And Party came in and played pretty well in that game. And that was really important for him to get some minutes under his belt. Everyone was saying at the time, oh no, we shouldn't play him. We shouldn't risk him. Um, he's going to get injured again. And he sort of was able to, to ride out that storm. So I don't know if you can rule him out for the rest of the season entirely. Obviously, we don't know the intricacies of the thigh injury. And if it's keeping him out as long as it has done already, then... It's quite a serious one and Arsenal are very sort of pessimistic on his chances of coming back between now and mm. the end of the season, which I'm aware isn't what people want to hear. But I think it's, I, I personally am not of the opinion that Arsenal shouldn't risk it in case he gets another injury. I think if you've got it between now and the end of the season and he's your best midfielder, then you kind of have to play him for the most important games. I think if he's back, then you have to play him. And I know he does take a, a couple of games to get up to speed, but I think it's it's, it's better to have him in the side for those crunch games at the end of the season. And obviously people are talking about North London Derby. Will he be back for that? I'd, I'd love to see him return for that, but um, I don't know. It's very difficult. Running on the treadmill is very different from playing 90 minutes of football, like you were saying. Yeah, it's funny because that would be a game where actually, and, and we won't go into this too far, I'd be fine with us sitting back and trying to counterattack and not letting yeah. them do what they do best, which is counterattack. So you might not need party for that. It is, it is the last thing I want to ask you about though, is the psychology of the run in and, I think what these players have shown, and this, again, I'm playing armchair psychiatrist here, so I could be way off base, but it does feel like when they've had something in their grasp 
you've seen the nervousness come come out when they've when they they want Champions League so bad and you know it because you know all this kerfuffle about oh they over celebrated against Wolves they over celebrated against Villa but those mm-hmm. celebrations I think showed how much it means but because it means so much I think that they froze a little under the spotlight when they came back from the international break and you saw against Chelsea they'd get a lead and suddenly they have something to protect something that they are scared to lose and they go to pieces and give the lead away. And then to their credit, they fought it, fought for it back. Same with United a little bit. Once they got that lead, we we looked so shaky and so nervous. The good thing is we played United before Spurs played, and so we put the pressure on them to be chasing us again. This weekend it flips back. Spurs play at home against a Leicester team that, I mean, to the extent that they'll care about the Europa Conference, they will be between the two legs of their Europa Conference game. And we will know that result before we kick off against West Ham. And, and I wonder if that puts the pressure on in, in a slightly different way psychologically. And how do you think these players will handle and can handle the the nervousness of the run-in? Because I think talent-wise, coaching-wise, you know, position in the league-wise, we can go on and do this. But they are going to have to show a fortitude psychologically that I don't think we've seen them show in the last few weeks or month. And none of these players, or at least... Yeah, I mean, basically none of these players have been to that promised land of Champions League with Arsenal. So it's a big psychological battle they have to wage, and I'm curious how you think that weighs on them. Yeah, I mean, the last player to play Champions League football in this current squad for Arsenal was Mohamed Elneny, and that was in his first season. So if you think that's that's how long it's been, granted Jack has been with Arsenal for a long time, and he's only played one season of Champions League football. So it's it's been a while. And Did he play think, Champions League football for Arsenal? Yeah, in his first season. In his first season for Arsenal. I remember uh, it was him and Elneny in that game against, I think it was Ludogorets. Where That's Ozil so interesting because I have been misquoting that basically uh, okay. since the dawn of time. So thank you okay. for correcting me. <laughs> no worries. No worries. But my, I knew my, my sort of ridiculous Arsenal knowledge uh, would come in handy one day. It, so it, it certainly has, but what it's really done is exposed me as a fraud for a <laughs> several seasons, so thank you for that. Please, go Sorry, on. I'm sorry to have done that, but yeah. yeah um, it's deserved. <laughs> the psychology is always difficult to, to get into because you get such limited sample sizes to actually really test these players, and I, I think experience is going to be huge between now and the end of the season, and what's really made me feel glad over the past couple of games is the way Granit Xhaka has stepped up, sort of speaking to him. He's, you, you sort of wonder in the big moments in the past whether he's someone who maybe lets the occasion get to him, but he's really stepped up. And I think bringing in Mohamed Elneny has been a smart move. Um, it's happened, even if it wasn't necessarily by design initially, obviously, because if party was fit, then I don't think Elneny would be playing. It was more by accident, but I think it's worked out pretty well. And you sort of get those safe pair of hands Arsene Wenger would always trust the more experienced players at the big stage of the season. And I, I, I don't think Mikel Arteta has that many of those players to turn to. So it's, it's difficult to say. I think there have been times this season where Arsenal have been under pressure and they, they have stood up to it. I, I think, obviously, bouncing back in that game after those first three games of the season is pressure and they, they dealt with it pretty well. But it's a different kind of pressure where the immediate goal isn't as sort of so close into the future you can't really see it as much I think this time Arsenal really have it in their sights to, to come top four and that is going to change things the stakes are a lot higher in terms of the pressure than they ever really have been for this Arsenal team but that's kind of something they're going to have to get used to going through and they, they they all want to be playing Champions League football they all want to be challenging for those top trophies and we're all sort of buying into this idea that the Mikel Arteta project is eventually going to get Arsenal to being back up in those those big games again. And I think you're going to have to come through these big pressure games at some point. Arsenal have 
not really had to face them yet. They're facing them now. And obviously in the big games, generally so far, they haven't done as well. But there is that FA Cup one to, to fall back on. The stakes were a little bit lower. I look back to the Europa League semi-finals last season. I think there's maybe a few caveats in terms of injuries and availability. But I don't know. I, I just think this season they, they have a clearly defined playing style, which which helps as opposed to last season's where they were kind of chopping and changing it a little bit more, which might help change things. But it's a young group. They're inconsistent. We don't really know what we're going to get. And that's kind of where I think uh, fans have to be patient. It's, it's easy to say from the outside, but... Um, I think we just as as fans and as observers, it's just on us to try and get behind them as much as possible, support them as much as possible because it's going to be a testing time of the season. I think we're all hopeful they can come through, but if I said for certain I knew they are going to, I'd, I'd be lying. And I think anyone who who says they they know that's going to happen now is is a liar too. Totally out of their mind. Yeah, I mean, um, I think it. We know, look, I often rail against soft factors because I think analysis of them tends to be post hoc and a little bit lazy, yeah. but we know that they matter. And we, you know, you can see teams go to pieces on the pitch a little bit. Like, I do think we saw the team psychologically crumbling a little bit against United before Shaka scored that goal. Um, and then you see the change from there, right? It felt pretty comfortable. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I hate to reference like what happened to Loris. Uh, Carriage right for uh, Liverpool in the Champions League final. You you see the occasion get the better of players sometimes, and it is it, it can be really hard to watch when that happens. And I think where the real big moment is coming up maybe isn't this weekend so much, but I think next weekend if Liverpool beat Spurs, and you know if we've held serve this weekend, both of us, yeah, we will then play on the Sunday at home to Leeds, a, a reasonably re, you know um, rejuvenated Leeds but not with a ton to play for, but I think it's fair to call them rejuvenated. We'll yeah. be playing at home, knowing that a win, you know, could, again, there's a lot of coulds and shoulds and who knows how it'll go between now and then, but sure. could be, could open up a five-point gap and create a situation where we actually can even go into the Derby not needing to win it and take that pressure potentially off us. And that's going to be an interesting one, I think, from a psychology standpoint, because you're at home, a team you should beat, with a massive, massive reward on the line for getting those points. And I think that'll be an interesting one to see how the psychology affects them. Um, but we got to get through this weekend first. I think that's plenty for uh, for this time. We'll definitely have to get you back, but with some technical difficulties. To start with, I've held you longer than expected. So in consideration of your time, and thanks for being here, we will we'll leave it at that. Kaya's on Twitter at KayaKynak97, uh, at KayaKynak97. Kaya, real pleasure, and I hope you come back on. Thank you very much for having me on. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, we can discuss uh, Champions League group stage next season. And I look forward to seeing you in London. And I apologize for all the jinxing. Uh, that'll do it for this episode. Remember, if you uh, email or DM me or whatever the uh, reviews you're leaving for the podcast, that'll put you into the drawing for the free year of Patreon. Uh, the link is in the description for the live event at Union Chapel, May 21st in London. Hope to see you there. Uh, there could be some fun special guests. I will leave it at that on that note. But that's enough for today. We'll be back with, uh, I think, Manchester United Rewatch and instant reaction over the weekend for patrons. And of course, this wonderful podcast that everybody has access to at any point uh, from there. But thank you so much for being here. We love you so, so much. So the journey continues, everyone. Fingers crossed for the weekend. We love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. West Ham nil. No.